1: Welcome back to Frank Film Club, the club for lovers and makers of film. I'm Maisie Williams. I am an actor and producer. I'm Lowry Roberts and I'm a filmmaker and producer. Hello,
2: I'm Hannah Williams and I am a casting director. And welcome to our club. Take one. Welcome back to Frank Film Club. This is the film club for lovers and makers of film. And we are in for a treat with this one this week. We're so excited to be speaking about Phantom of the Open. And um, a little bit later on, we're going to be speaking to Craig Roberts about the filmmaking process and his influences and ideas and how it all got brought to life. But
1: first of all, girls, how have you been? I've had a lovely week, went to the spa with my sister, which was very, very dreamy. Lovely to spend some time with her. That
3: sounds divine.
1: Yeah, it was good.
3: What about you, Larry? Uh, I went for a big walk this weekend um, and I I played on Zelda, actually. Oh my um, God, vintage. Yeah, yeah. A few video games. Breath of the Wild. Yes, that's the one.
2: It was great. And Hannah, you went to the BAFTAs. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I did go to the BAFTAs. It was amazing i'm not gonna lie i was right at the back but that's fine because i found inspiration and gradually i'm gonna move down those seats okay yeah you are and then you're gonna be on the stage
3: yes presenting (laughs) no no no
1: (laughs) you gotta be you gotta be at the nosebleeds at the baftas like that's just like the way that's just the way it all begins that's like when you go and watch your favorite concert and they go, "So who who knows the lyrics?" and then like <laughs> at the back and you're like, "Me, pick me." <laughs> I
2: do. <laughs> that's what I was doing and it was amazing. So that's what I've been up to and I need some R&R this weekend for sure. Yeah. Anyway, this film really was a treat to have a little bit of downtime anyway because it's such a heartwarming film. Um Phantom of the Open, it stars Mark Rylance, Sally Hawkins, Reese Vans and it's a film about family really and hopes and dreams. It's a real life story about Maurice Flintcroft, who was a crane operator and he just one day decided that he wanted to be a golf player and enter the Open and through a series of events ends up getting into it and scores the worst score that has ever been recorded. So girls what do you think?
1: Craig Roberts he's a kooky cat (laughs) and I love this film I I didn't know if like the subject matter I was going to be that interested in it but I knew that like I would love the style of it and that I would love just kind of like you know Craig's like voice um but then I actually ended up loving the story loving Maurice I thought that he was such an endearing character and I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Yes, I was the same. It was so, so good. I was laughing
3: and I was crying. It was just so good. I just love the characters so much. Um, Mark Rylance was incredible in it. I love the colours so much. I swear they just use all of my favourite colours all the time. And then the soundtrack was also insane. I can't wait for more people to see
2: this. Yeah, what a lovely ride. And this is the second sports film that I've picked this series, which is like, am I okay? <laughs> but I saw this I saw this film last year when it when it was showing at LFF and this all seemed to have lined up for this series and, and the film coming out in the cinema which it comes out on 18th of March, which is obviously gone past by now. Um, But if you can catch it in the cinema, I really recommend that. But if not, I'm sure it'll be coming to a streamer really soon. So, well, first of all, it's the first film that Craig has directed that he hasn't written. But it's also the first one that he's done from a book adaptation and based on a real-life person. And Mm. we touched on it a little bit, the way that he brought the characters to life. I think that my favourite thing about this film is that we're not taking the piss out of this man like I think it could so easily be like this slapstick comedy of errors type situation but everything is just so um yeah you you really root for him so yeah what did you think of of
1: that did you ever laugh at him or were you like egging him on I just loved how seriously Maurice took himself and his family and his family's like desires or ambitions and I thought that that was like unexpected an unexpected trait for this character because I thought that he would be down and out and like not sure where to turn, not sure like what to do and like severe lack of confidence in himself and need other people to kind of build him up but he doesn't like no one takes him more seriously than he takes himself. I think it's just a really good message for anyone like in any kind of like endeavor i think that like you really have to be championing yourself more than anyone else because that's what gives other people the confidence in you and ultimately that's what you know the crowds they he became the people's favorite but maurice didn't think that maurice was a joke and so i didn't either and i love that do you know what i feel like
2: maybe like we as women might connect with that quite a lot as well. There's something that I'm just trying to be a lot less self-deprecating recently because I just noticed that, that is a common theme in a lot of my like professional conversations. And I need to take myself seriously because I'm great. <laughs> and I think that's what he does so well.
3: I agree. Also, it's quite painful when people are self-deprecating all the time. And actually, yeah, just don't do that. I know I'm also really bad at that. So... <laughs> am I also self-deprecating when I just said that then? <laughs> I just realised as I said that, I'm like, oh God.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, but it's true though. <laughs> like if people look to you to give you a representation of yourself and if you're going, I'm a te- I'm awful and I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, then people are like, oh, well now, I, I mean, am I supposed to stick up for you? Because I don't really know you. So I don't, you know, is that true? And if you're not championing yourself, then... How are other people going to even know that you know what you're doing? So,
2: obviously, that is what Maurice's essence is. I think Mark Rylance is obviously such a massive part of how that translates. What else in this film do
1: you think really helps that tone? Well, I think um, Jean Flitcroft... I don't, I wasn't expecting her, that character to be as supportive and as accepting and just like as liberated. She just, she got so much life from his success and she wasn't like bitter or um, she didn't resent him, you know. I, I did kind of expect her to.
3: Yeah. I guess I feel like so often if you do see this kind of story, which you don't very often because usually it is that you're like laughing at that person, um, then the wife in the situation would probably be like, You need to stop that, you need to get a proper job and pay the bills, blah, blah, blah. But it was not that at all. And I love how on board she was. And and like most of the family were, apart from apart from Mike. And and that was just like so Beautiful to see.
1: And even with Mike, it's like you can still tell that it's like his, it's his lack of confidence in himself that makes him like ashamed of his dad. And it's just interesting. I don't think that any of this is really shoved down your throat in the film, but it's just like what I'm really getting. And I just loved how self-aware these people were. And they were like, like good people, like really good people. Sally's character, Jean. I think yeah
2: usually when you see something like this you do see the naggy wife which then is like how many older female characters are there and I feel like this was something that was quite new actually so um, loved it what about talking about the family what about the twins isn't it mad that this is a true story by the way those twins were real they actually won an award like they won best disco dancers in like a berlin or malibu or something um competition you think just as about when it's just getting a bit too mad and that he's like following these crazy dreams and just going his own way then you have these like dancing twins on the side
3: and they're like a real part of it and, like, they were such a testament to his own drive in life. They just went for it because he's like, yeah, if you want to go for it, go for it. And that's, again, something that you don't see very often. That it's usually like, oh, the parent tells me
1: what to do it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, their family kind of, like, dynamic was really inspiring. Just good to see a good family, especially when it's, like, rooted within, like, a class story and they're, like, working class. Just, like, I don't know, I feel like people always make out that... I don't know the working class are just like degenerate horrible people and I'm saying this because I am from the working class um and it's just like always depicted as just being like atrocious but it's like my mum always supported me and stuff like that
3: yeah it's always that the working class storyline is that they need to get money or they need to get a better job or that like it's always the same Want or need for the main character, and it's usually to do with money. I didn't even cross my mind in this film.
1: And I also just loved that those boys were just, like the just the comedy relief of watching them dance, and they're so good
2: as well. That was the last role that they had to cast on the on the film. Shaheen Beg cast the film, um, and they were looking for a while. I think they were probably trying to find twins who could dance. They cast these boys, they couldn't dance, so they had to have a period of training. Yeah, it took them a while to find the twins. And I think from interviews it was like a a source of like a little bit of worry to get in that right because if you've got someone if you've got someone in the bag like sally and mark rylance and the boys are such a massive part of like the dynamic in the household they have to really hit hit it and i think they did it perfectly and now i want to learn how to disco dance
1: you should that could be your sport (gasps) that's what you're going that's that's your ambition (sighs) That's your after-school club. Yeah,
3: there you go. There's a new... That can be your homework. (laughs) Learn to disco
2: dance. I'm interested also to know what references you think might have been in there because I think it's really original. I think the way it Mm. looks and, and I think it's brilliant storytelling. I mean, laugh, cry, like, inspired, all of those things. But I think it's really original. So I'm interested to know what other... References there are in there from Craig later.
3: When it goes quite fantastical and the the moon turns into a golf ball, etc. That part kind of really reminded me of Jim Carrey films. Like, I can't think
1: which one in particular. Bruce Almighty when he, like, repaints the sky. What's the one where it's like everyone's watching his life? Truman Show. Truman
3: Show. I think, you know, when he gets to the, like, the edge of the world... It kind of reminded me of that, and it, at that point, and I was like, that's I was just like surprised that that kind of film sprung to mind. I wondered if you guys felt that at all.
1: I think that part with the um that part that you're saying, Larry, and then also when he hits the ball and it kind of goes into slow motion. I just remember feeling, I don't know what it is. It's like there's pieces of films that I just a- always watch a film to watch that part. And it, like, started when I was a kid and, like, there's this bit in Toy Story 2 when, like, Woody gets his arm, his arm falls off and then the chicken man, like, cleans him and, like, repairs him and paints his foot. And it's, like, I'm always, like, whenever that part of the film comes on, it's, like, I don't know, it's just, like, my favourite, favourite part and it's just so satisfying to watch. And that was the moment that I got that feeling on this film where it just felt like... I just felt really connected to it. And it just felt like this cool part of this film that I'm just going to remember forever. And yeah, I don't know if you guys have that where you like just have a piece of a film that you just like never forget. Yeah.
3: Yeah, definitely have that.
1: It was definitely that that part for, in this film. I just was like smiling at the TV like this is sick.
3: <laughs> That's actually so true. Throughout this film, I was grinning at the TV, apart from right at the end when I was sobbing at the TV. But mm. to... Yeah, to actually be smiling the whole way through is pretty incredible.
2: And I think it's really universal as well because Warren, my boyfriend, he's, yeah, sometimes we have quite different tastes, especially when it comes to stuff with, like, a bit of heart and comedy. Um, And he loved this film so much, like, really, really loved it.
1: Would you guys say that this is, like, a comedy then?
3: Yeah, I- I think so. Yeah, it is funny, but you're just, you're not laughing at him Is Wait, would you not? Well,
1: not that it wasn't funny. I thought it was really funny. Um, but I just felt like it was so soulful. And, but maybe that's also because we're just so used to, like, being, f- like, force-fed these, like, really not funny, soulless comedies that are just, like, I don't really know, like, s- Grandpa this. And I don't know. They're just, like, they're terrible. And so I don't watch a lot of films that would be like this as a comedy but it's like actually got a soul and it's yeah got like sense like a yeah sensitivity about it and so for that reason I was like no it's a drama but like I guess it's that doesn't mean it it's just a good comedy <laughs> yeah exactly I think that's why Craig
2: was such a good choice to direct this film and why Mark Rylance was then such a good choice yeah. to cast in in the lead because they just completely ground it like it can yeah. be funny and fantastical and like have all of those elements but it, it still needs to connect to some sort of truth especially because it's based on a real person um, and especially because everything that happens in it is absolutely mad, really. Yeah. But if it was done even with a tinge of, um, sat- like satire, it wouldn't be as heartwarming and lovely to watch. Do you know another thing about this film that I absolutely love? Because when well, I just really don't like jobs worths that stick to silly rules, mm. like. That golf world just seems so elitist and, like, stupid. They, so they banned Maurice Flitcroft after all of this happened. They got um, handwriting experts to have a look through all of the applications to make sure that he hadn't been involved. They banned him from all of the clubs, even his local golf club. He couldn't go just to enjoy the sport. They banned him from everything. And it's like, why? That's so ridiculous. Don't like the rules like that
3: no neither and I hate that people even have the power to do that surely there's got to be someone along the way who can be like hold on that's not okay I feel like that shows that that's like a lot in all of our society and
1: yeah the amount like the extent that people go to like the effort that people put in yeah. To, like, stop. Yeah, it's just, it's a bit ridiculous, really. And it's so funny now that you watch this film, because you're going, which side of history were you on? Were you on the funny side with Maurice and his amazing family, or were you the baddies in this movie? <laughs> 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 Finally, we have justice for Maurice. <laughs>
2: Bringing it back to, like, us and filmmaking and casting especially, mm. that's why I'm like, no, like, I don't want to see the same people on the screen all the time. Yeah. What, like, why? Why have we got to have the same, same people that look the same? I'm talking about not just the same names, but, like, because obviously people mm. are, are great actors and they should be in a lot of things. Yeah. But Like, why are we seeing the people that look the same all the time? Mm. So I'm like, no. And he was like, no. So me and Maurice are very similar in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be the change you want to see
3: in the world. Can I just say... I think my, like, favourite speech ever in the world is that cup of tea speech. And I feel like I want to, like, live... Well, not that you can really live by that speech. And also, I don't like sugar in my tea. But I was just, like... It was just so stunning.
1: That, that speech was really special. It did... I didn't cry, though. But I did feel... I did feel something. <laughs> There was a stirring inside. What did you feel, Hannah?
2: Um, Well, you know, I cry at everything, so I cried all the way through it, to be honest. it just reminded me so much of my dad, and I just think, God, you just try your best, don't you? And that that just makes me cry. People Mm, just trying their best. (laughs) I
3: cried. Ron cried as well.
2: Well, welled up.
1: It was one of those films that, um, yeah, watch with the boy, right, guys?
3: Yeah, could watch this with the whole fam. Whole fam. Yeah. Yeah. Great film. I'm actually really excited for my dad to watch this. I text him immediately after saying, there's a golf film that you're going to (laughs) love. Not that you could really describe this film as a golf film.
1: (laughs) But that's the end. That's the dad goes, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll watch it.
0: (laughs) There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Now it's time for In The Club
2: And now it's time for In The Club and we are so lucky today to have Craig Roberts who's the director of Phantom of the Open Craig Roberts' career um, started with acting and it spans Tracy Beaker, Jane Eyre, Submarine, Skins, The Double, Bad Neighbours, The Fundamentals of Caring. In 2012, Craig won the BAFTA Cymru for Best Actor in Submarine and he has gone on to direct incredible films including Just Jim, Eternal Beauty and now Phantom of the Open. We're really excited to dive into the filmmaking process with him. So Craig, thanks so much for joining us.
4: No, thanks for having me. Thanks so much.
2: Um, Let's start from the beginning of this project, anyway. Um, How did you first come on to Phantom of the Open?
4: So the producers, uh, Tom Miller and Nick Martin, and also the writer, Simon Farnaby, they came to uh, London Film Festival where they saw my second film, Eternal Beauty. I suppose they liked... Uh, the way the protagonist was framed and the way that we were laughing with, not laughing at they sent me the script and it was uh, yeah, it was fantastic, it was really good and I was slightly jealous that I hadn't written it myself and um, it felt more commercial than anything I could probably write, to be honest
3: Did you then change the script much when when you actually got it or did it stay pretty much as it was uh, from when you'd first seen it?
4: I I did like a pass, but not really much to change. It was almost a performative pass where I was pretending I was doing something. And then when Mark Rylance attached himself, that's when the script changed a little bit more. He had um, certain ideas of how he saw it and uh, for tone and, and comedy and stuff. So that's when we really like opened it up a bit.
1: And so you said there that um, Mark Rylance kind of came to it in a fashion. Was that like your sort of number one choice, or how how did that kind of come about? Was it a script that he was also looking at, kind of similar time?
4: The script was a comedy. It was an out and out comedy, pretty much. Um, but I kind of wanted to. I wanted to shoot it like a drama. And I wanted it to feel like a drama, um, just so that by the end of the movie, we could hopefully cry as well as laugh. So we wanted an actor, that, well, a character actor, really, somebody that would do a lot of drama and that could ground it. And I mean, he's probably, the, he's the best. We, yeah, we sent it to him. I wrote a letter and says lovely things about his work. And then, yeah, he responded. When the press release was put out, his quote said, I'd never been offered a comedy before. So... I think, um, yeah, it was just the timing of that, really, and all, all, it was also during COVID. So I think he wanted to work.
2: Didn't we all? <laughs> yeah. um, I think that is something that's so interesting. You said there when the producers saw Eternal Beauty and that that we're not laughing at these characters, that we're laughing with them because obviously this is based on a, a real person, a real story. How much of that influenced? How you could go with your creative agency? Like, did Mo- uh, Maurice's family have any input?
4: They did actually. The producers did a really good job of keeping them involved. Uh, one of one of the twins, James, is still around, and he was involved from the beginning, really. Um, and that was a really good collaboration. Uh, and I know Mark did uh, a lot of research, and he went to baron and, and 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 you know stayed with the family and um, and soaked all that in. I didn't want to get too too attached to it at the same time. I, I I didn't want it to be like an impression or like, I mean, I always feel like you're setting yourself up to fail if you're doing impressions because um, it's not the r- real person. So we, do, I just wanted to capture the spirit and the optimism of him more so. Um, so I, you know, I let Mark do what he needed to do in terms of the research and then it was about, um, I suppose, exploring and making it more of a, I, I suppose, just more escapism than, than real.
3: I actually didn't realise that he was a real person until midway through. I was like, wait, I have a feeling that this, might be real and googled it and was like oh my gosh this is just
4: even better yeah that's the strange thing about it if we'd made it up people people would be like oh there's no this this is not (laughs) believable whatsoever um but it's all real pretty much i mean some of it you know some of it's heightened and like the buggy chase and stuff like that although i think there was a chase of sorts but some of some of that is heightened just for you know comedic effect and but we yeah i think simon wrote the book on him with scott murray and he adapted the book to the screenplay. So I think he he kept pretty true to to what what actually happened.
1: And uh, with the family, um, I wonder, like it really is kind of like the gel of this movie and seeing their sort of dynamic. um, How much of that was like your your own input um, uh, versus like, you know, factual or...
4: Well, it was, to be fair, it was on the page. And it, for me, it was never really like a, it definitely wasn't a film about golf. For me, it was about, f- yeah, it was about family and love and also people supporting one another. And it's like, a. I, I call it, I I'm not sure this is a genre of film, but the birth lottery film. And it's about people going against the cards that they dealt pretty much. Um, and that's what I love about Morris. He just kind of sticks it to the machine. And we we were very lucky in finding like Jake Davies who plays Mike and Christian and Jonah who play the twins. And one of our first days shooting actually was the it's one of the first scenes you see all the family together after all the flashback stuff at the beginning, and everyone's kind of talking over each other. And it was really it was really useful because we didn't really standard coverage on it we just put the camera anywhere and we just got everybody like we, the the reference was uncut gems by the safety brothers and i was basically like everybody talk all over you know over people and, and see where it goes and i think it was quite freeing for everybody on the day and kind of i think the chemistry was a form there rather than rehearsals i think it was formed on that day of just everybody being able to say whatever they wanted to say really
3: i feel like i love seeing family dynamics like that and well we were actually meant to be shooting something before lockdown last year that was very heavily that the whole way through. So so were those parts scripted or was that completely improv
4: just like everyone go for it? Yeah. I mean this, it, there was a structure to that scene for sure, but the twins have such great energy that they can very easily steal a scene. So um yeah, it was definitely about letting them off and, and letting them go to 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 do whatever they wanted in that first in that first instance and and, and then it, it was great cuz we had the rocks like Mark and Sally around to, to ground it as well. So it probably saw the tone of the movie in that first scene that we shot, really. I was like, okay, this is kind of what it, what it can be. And it was also good to to know where the bar was on the energy, really, that we had to kind of keep it as high as that.
1: What I really love um, about uh, Maurice is that he kind of always believes in himself first. And I wonder, like, I don't know, do you like do you relate to Maurice in any way when you look at your own life or your own career and kind of like... You know,
4: diving off from acting and moving into filmmaking. It's so, it's interesting you say that. I think he's like the Kanye West of golf, is what Morris is. <laughs> I think if we all believed in ourselves as much as Kanye West did, I think we'd have probably less anxiety. Um, <laughs> or at least I feel like I would. I'm con I'm constantly a, 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 c- a card carrying member of the imposter syndrome society. And uh, certainly, when I think when I turned when I moved from acting to directing, I kind of I love acting, but I was just I was playing the same roles over and over again, and um there's you know that kind of end of the fucking world role, um which is like just deadpan and I was kind of getting tired of that i think and I, yeah i when i I definitely wanted to change over but it was really hard when I' made my first film um and it's fine the film I like the my first film, but I would put myself in it, which was a mistake, I think, um looking back at it I only did it for like budget reasons really because i was I, my my quote was really cheap as an actor <laughs> um but i uh when when looking back at it i really shouldn't have done that and then i got like awful review which i was just like oh wow bloody hell oh i was like God. i call my agent i was like do you think i can still act <laughs> i was like that's that's horrible um, I was like, um so in terms of that Kanye West confidence i think Morris definitely was like that i think he had the confidence to to dream which is really cool one of the references actually for the movie was the king of comedy the Scorsese picture, which I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about a guy called Rupert Pupkin who is a comedian and he thinks he's very funny and everyone tells him he isn't funny. And for me, that's the best setup for anything. Like that's immediately <laughs> funny, and that's why that's why when I read this script, I was like, oh, this is good. This this kind of reminds me of that in a in a in a weird way. And also, you you're with Rupert throughout the movie, and again, like you're not laughing at Rupert, I suppose. Mm.
2: So, how did you? Like in practical terms, pick yourself back up. Was it a sent? Like was it time? Because we've all wor- worked on things that maybe could have gone better, or that you know we regret certain creative choices. And yeah, how how did you get yourself out of maybe the funk you were in? If you were in a funk,
4: I think I was fortunate that um, not many people saw the first one, even though there were reviews that went out. Um, I didn't have a wide release at all. Um, so t- people weren't really aware of it. I mean, even till now, even now, people think that Eternal Beauty is my first film that I directed, which is fine. That's absolutely fine if they if, they, if that's what people see. Um, so I think it was. Uh, I think it was just reflecting a little bit on how I made the first one. I think I carried, I wore my influences too much. Really, I, I think I, I I knew what kind of filmmaker I wanted to be and who 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 I wanted to be like, and um, I just projected that way 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 too much um i i also believe that i don't know if it's a british thing i don't know but i think we just need to kind of i think there needs to be more patting on the back to people that like attempt to do stuff rather than bring them down
2: let's talk a little bit about the shoot then because this was a covid project um what were some of the difficulties with that for you
4: Well, i caught covid the first week that was difficult um so i had to uh, for, for day one i had to direct from my bedroom which was really strange. They brought like a monitor to the bedroom and to the bedroom, to my bedroom (laughs) um, and like uh, had like a walkie talkie and and stuff. And it was pretty pathetic. It was not good at all. Um, And that only lasted a day, thankfully. I think the positive to come from it was that there weren't that many people behind the monitor, if I'm totally honest which I'm always grateful for.
1: And you see that this is kind of more of a like commercial film for yourself and like less of the kind of surreal elements. Um, But I did love the way that the golfing segments were shot. And I thought that it felt very, it felt very your style. and we actually had just watched Bend It Like Beckham and we were talking about that movie, how you kind of like follow the ball into the net. And I wondered if that was any reference here or if you had your own set of references.
4: <laughs> I'm going to say that now in the Q and A's, Bend It Like Beckham is a great <laughs> reference. Um, sadly not, no. There weren't any British films in the references. When I read the script, there was just so much story. And my other, my, my other films that I'd made, there's no story. They're like, they're just like character pieces. They're almost like free roaming computer games where you just have a character and you can walk wherever you want. And there's nothing really going on. Um, so with Phantom, there was so much story that I was, I think in my head, I was like, okay, I need to move through this story very quickly. Um, so that's why we just laid, I mean, most of the money probably went on the amount of track we laid. Like, we we spent so much time laying track, 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 mm. um, and, like, really nice zoom lenses so that we could try and, you know, keep it authentic and, and like, I a, a, a suppose, uh, very 70s. Boogie Nights was a reference for it. Um, he, I mean, he's the best, really. Um, and... I love the movement in it and how kinetic Boogie Nights is. Magnolia as well, another Paul Thomas Anderson film. The uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a reference um, just because production design is amazing on it. I love the old studio look of loads of light into the camera and then bring the blacks down and I just, you know, that kind of rebel without a cause look is beautiful. I love British cinema, but yeah, sadly no British films. Those are the references and Benny you
2: <laughs> <laughs> Your, um, soundtrack is amazing in this film as well and we were wondering how much of your budget went on music.
4: <laughs> a lot a lot of it. <laughs> it's interesting. I I actually had I had a playlist of songs that I want to use for movies and I'm making another one in the summer and I um I had loads of songs for that m- movie. Um but in the during the edit I was like fall in and out of love with the movie. Um and I have to always, you know, it's always a battle of me falling back in love with it. And that's sometimes just putting new tracks on it. But I've used most most of my tracks for the the upcoming thing. Like I put them all in. So um, I need to start, I think I need to start a new a new playlist, but they're good in it. They're, they're, you know, they're kind of, they're not too, like they're not the upbeat ones. Like some of the upbeat ones are fantastic. Like Build Me a Buttercup and stuff like that. That's fantastic. It's more so the kind of melancholy ones, I suppose, towards the end. Um, but yeah, they, they spent a, a lot of money on that. Um, I think they knew you know we we knew we wanted something that felt big that would kind of help it transcend a little bit if the soundtrack was and that's a difficult thing as well because it you it, it, it's really it sometimes comes across like you're covering everything up with wallpaper when you just go track to track to track um and that's why we got. You know Isabel Wallerbridge to to come in and, and do a beautiful score that would kind of connect it and connect the themes a little bit more.
3: Yeah, I think the music was so well used in this film. I think it's it's going to be one. I don't know if it's already on Spotify as a whole playlist, but it's going to be one that I play a lot.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, it's interesting the score, the actual score for it. Actually, talking about there's there's no British references for this score, the score. My main reference for Isabel was Coronation Street. <laughs> because I love the opening of Coronation Street. I think it's so romantic. When I, when I, So when I read the script, my, my biggest fear, and I talked to a few people about it, was directing someone else's script. And I was like, I don't want it, you know, I want it, it to be great for them, but also it needs to feel my own as well at the same time. So I was trying to find a way in. And then I, in one of the pages, uh, there's a scene where Morris comes out of the shipyard and he opens his work overalls and it, it describes it like Superman, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I, I punched drunk love the movie I referenced earlier um, in that movie Paul Thomas Anderson makes the character an alien essentially. So he's Superman. And that's why he's socially anxious all the time because he can't deal with his powers. So it's like, th- that's a great way in. So we started, you know, in terms of the iconography and the aesthetics of it all, we started putting like loads of Superman colors in and we designed the jumper. So it's like diamonds, but the Superman color in diamonds. And then like the number of the car has an Easter egg and it's the same dog as Superman. So all these like really random sh- shit that nobody's going to care about. Um, but when I first sat down with Isabel, I was like, uh, "Right, I want to use a theremin because a theremin sounds like it's from outer space. So it'd be really, really cool if we used the theremin." Um, and I think, you know, they they were used a lot in the '60s for horror films. And then once we put it on it, it was just it was too way too weird. It was like my first two films. I was like, "No, I gotta, I gotta steer away from that." So Coronation Street felt more accessible.
3: <laughs> That's really tickled me. That just reminds me of my grandparents. <laughs> oh, really? yeah coronation street i wouldn't have picked up on that but now you said i think i need to go watch it again and see if i can hear the uh the similarities
1: and so where do you go next you've done um this film which was commercial as well as um being like very creative will you make someone else's script again or will you make something of your own has it influenced anything that you want to write
4: Uh, yeah i'll definitely do other people's scripts i think Um, i think the next thing i have to do is my own script um, I've been working four years on it, and um, I really need to get rid of it now. It's kind of bringing me down, um, <laughs> and it's, it's it's certainly not as commercial. It's it's a honey, and it's a surreal, not surreal. It's a terrible way to pitch anything. Nobody's ever going to give you money if you start with surreal. Um, it's a, um, mm. I suppose, a relationship drama um, that's slightly surreal. It's, so hopefully, that's the summer. Not after that pitch. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We can't, well, I can't wait to watch it, and um, I'm just so glad that we could do this with you today, and I'm really happy to highlight this film, because I think if you had pitched me a golf film, I would have been like, really? Like, that's not, that's not my cup of tea, but this is yeah. just everything that I want in a film, so, um Yeah.
4: Brilliant. Oh, thank you. thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on as well. I really appreciate it. It's also really cool to like, dive into the production questions and also you know, go a bit deeper on it. So thank you very much for asking.
3: Thanks so much for coming on.
2: Well, that was fun. Girls, final thoughts.
3: An absolutely cracker of a film. Um, love chatting with Craig and hearing about his inspirations and also that he managed to connect this character to Kanye West that was quite a shock (laughs) but I'm so into that and I actually see it um yeah which is surprising uh but yeah what just what a gorgeous character and what a gorgeous film
1: yeah I think that Maurice is like a really special character and I love that this film is based on a true story and I think it was just also really interesting to hear Craig talk about his experiences being an up and coming filmmaker being on his third picture now. And um, yeah, just all the different pressures that come with that. And I think that it's such a standout film, um, uh, but it's, it's just like always great when you just have someone being so honest about that, because yeah, that's the bit that people relate to, you know, people relate to your struggles. They don't relate to your success. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I really love that we
2: we went there with that conversation because I think, yeah, sometimes you feel like you're on your own. But if somebody like Craig can be open and honest about that stuff, it's it's just so encouraging to keep going as well because if he had stopped, Eternal Beauty and this film, Phantom of the Open, are just so different. But he's got such an incredible voice as a filmmaker and,
1: um, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does next.
3: Yeah, very excited for that.
1: Well, coming up on Frank Film Club, we have Craig's fourth. (laughs) Be like
3: Williams by Roberts. (gasps) Two times.
1: Oh my gosh, that is so true. Yeah. Two Williams and two Roberts. Yeah, this should be a thing. Because Craig is a Roberts. Well, I mean, we are all from Wales. Well, I don't know if I am, but I'm saying I am. Oh, bloody hell.
3: <laughs> Are you my sister? You you come from Williams. I come from Williams. My mum's maiden name was Williams. I oh, was I Williams. did know that. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, hilarious. We should. This should actually be
1: called the Williams Film Club. <laughs> <laughs> three Williams. Yay. Three, three Williams. <laughs>
3: well i hope you enjoyed that episode next week we're going to be talking about save the last dance which was released in 2001 directed by thomas carter and starring julia styles and sean patrick thomas you can watch it on netflix in the uk so give it a watch and we'll see you here next week
1: This podcast was presented by Rapt.